0: This is 31 through 13, and this is from the Common English Bible. When Rachel realized that she could bear Jacob no children, Rachel became jealous of her sister and said to Jacob, give me children. If you don't, I may as well be dead. Jacob was angry at Rachel and said, do you think I'm God? God alone has kept you from giving birth. She said, here's my servant, Bilhah. Sleep with her and she will give birth for me. Because of her, I will also have children. So Rachel gave her servant Bilhah to Jacob as a wife, as his wife, and he slept with her. Bilhah became pregnant and gave birth to a son for Jacob. Rachel said, God has judged in my favor, heard my voice, and given me a son. So she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah became pregnant again and gave birth to a second son for Jacob. Rachel said, I have competed fiercely with my sister, and now I have won. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah realized that she had stopped bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as his wife. Leah's servant Zilpah gave birth to a son for Jacob, and Leah said, What, good luck? And she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah gave birth to a second son for Jacob, and Leah said, I'm happy now because women call me happy so she named him Asher may God's word shape and form us
1: Lord that is our prayer that your word would shape us and form us we know that you are present with us right now but we consciously and intentionally invite you into this space we invite you Holy Spirit to be molding us, to be changing us, to be filling us with the knowledge and understanding of you beyond what we knew when we walked into this space this morning. Lord, please speak your words through me. May we all hear and listen. And know that you are God, that you are good, that you are love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, like I said, I'm Erica. I'm the worship director. I don't usually preach, but I have the chance to today. Um, <coughs> thankful to Dave for that. Uh, as many of you know, I'm in seminary, so right now I'm taking a preaching class. So being able to preach at church means that I don't write a sermon just for class and then it's done. I get to then preach it here, which is really exciting. Um, And it gives me a second chance to preach my sermon even better than I did the first time in class. (laughs) Uh, But really, it's a little bit wild to think that I've been the worship director here for just over six months now. Y'all have had me for six months. Um, And that's... Exciting! It's kind of crazy how time flies. Um, but when I was a kid, I, I wanted, there were two things kind of growing up, other than I always wanted to be a teacher, to realize realized was not my thing. But um, there were two other things that I always wanted to do when I was growing up. I had this dream of being a youth pastor and this dream of being like a music pastor, worship pastor. So before I moved to Seattle, I was doing youth ministry, so I checked that one off. And now I'm the worship director. So I get to like check off that childhood dream of mine, uh, which is great. But no matter how much I wanted to, um, you know, take this job and i felt called to it. Um, I remember the first week that I got up front and I was like, I am the worship director here at Renew. I was so terrified. I was so I was anxious. Um, I remember the week leading up to that feeling like I had to, you know, make sure I got everything right and had it all perfect and what if they don't like me and what if I, they, I like play the songs and they think they're bad and, and I, I remember the anxiety of that experience. Um, I was so nervous, I wanted to do a good job um, and I worried and I fretted and I let myself kind of live into that anxiety. Um, And that's not only that week still happens, (laughs) but it happened a lot that first time being your worship director. Um, And in that moment, which is not like one moment, it was a a week's worth of moments. But in that moment, uh, I forgot about who you all were as a church. When I lived into that anxiety, I forgot about you. I, I, by forget, I don't mean that I cognitively lost all recollection of who you are and um, that I know you, but by forgot, I mean that I neglected to recall the truth of what I know about you, that you are gracious and loving people, that you're here to worship God, that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and really that you all as a collective whole, are the ones that invited me to take the position of worship director. But in getting caught up in all of that stress and all of that worry, I forgot about you. I forgot you. And this way of forgetting the truth about something or about someone is something that we do a lot of times with God. I loved Andrew's prayer uh, because in his prayer, I don't know if you're Remember, sometimes we listen to prayers and then move on. But he said something to the effect of, um, and help me not to forget that I'm a Christian when I go to work. Yeah? Something like that. Yeah. And that's exactly what like, I want us to consider today. When do we forget that we're Christians? When do we forget the truth about who God is? In the passage that we're encountering today... Um, we run into two women. their sisters, Rachel and Leah. And they, both of them, at different intervals, forget about God. Um, and like I said before, by forget, Rachel and Leah didn't cognitively lose all recollection that God existed. But they forgot about God's promises, about his character, about who he was to them, and about what he had done for them in the past and what he was doing for them in the present. In light of their personal desires, the cultural norms, the weight of keeping up reputations, uh, the fact of what their society said women should be and should do in order to have value, in light of all of those things, they disregarded what they knew to be true about God's power, about his presence, about his love for them, about his faithfulness. So we're going to consider this morning each sister um, and the way that this forgetting God showed up for them in turn. Rachel, who couldn't have children, but really wanted children, and Leah, who really wanted to be loved by her husband and who wasn't. So leading up to this point, uh, in Genesis 30, we're brought to this point by uh, the lineage and actions of Jacob, the husband of Rachel and Leah. Um, I'm sure that many of you know more about that, but Jacob is one of the Old Testament uh, patriarchs, if you will, one of the fathers of the Hebrew people um, and of the Jewish faith. And over and over in the Bible, um, Old Testament and New, they talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, really important people. Um, But the thing about these fathers of the faith, if you will, is that uh, they are part of a long lineage of people who forget about God, um, who forget that God made these powerful, important promises to them, and then forget about God's faithfulness to deliver on those promises, and be who he says he is. Uh, In Genesis 12, we read about how Abram lies to Pharaoh because he's afraid that they'll see his wife Sarai and want her for a wife and then he'll kill her, so he lies. Um, he doesn't trust God to keep him safe. Um, Sarai later laughs at the thought of having a child after hearing angels say that she would become pregnant. She thinks she's too old, she laughs about it, and then she gives her servant, Hagar, um, who David has talked about, to Abram to bear him a son even though they had been promised that God would make a great nation through her and Abram. And then Rebekah, the wife of Isaac, who is the father of Jacob, the husband in this passage, um, he, she helps Jacob deceive Isaac into giving him the blessing that was meant for his brother, um, even though God had was a God of abundance, like Dave talked about, that there was enough for both brothers in that space. Um, so let me, let's read the first uh, verses of the passage again. When Rachel realized that she could bear Jacob no children, Rachel became jealous of her sister and said to Jacob, give me children. If you don't, I may as well be dead. Jacob was angry at Rachel And said, Do you think I'm God? God alone has kept you from giving birth. So we come across Rachel first. (laughs) And the first thing we read about Rachel is that she realized that she could bear Jacob no children. Which is a pretty standard, important realization for her. At that time, Um, In that culture, a woman's job was to bear children. They considered that to be a huge part of why women existed, was to bear children, um, to keep the family lines going, and then to take care of those children, raise them up. So to not have children, that's an important thing. Um, And to realize that is an important realization because um, the knowledge of that impacts your life. Um, Not only your life now in the having children, raising them, but then in the am I going to be taken care of later Uh, because your children took care of you. Uh, So it's pretty straightforward. It's understandable. It's important. Um, But the kicker is what we read next. When Rachel realized that she could bear Jacob no children, Rachel became jealous of her sister. So Rachel didn't just realize that she was barren. In response to realizing that she couldn't have children, she became jealous of her sister. Now prior to chapter 30, we read about how, how this whole marriage came about. And Jacob gets to the home of Rachel and Leah and sees Rachel. And he's like, she's beautiful, falls in love. Hey, Laban, Rachel's dad, I want to marry your daughter. And Laban's like, yeah, that's great. Work for me for seven years, and then you can marry my daughter. And Jacob is like, no problem. It's like, no, no time at all because I'm so in love with her. And then he gets to the wedding. He's worked seven years, gets to the wedding, and Laban, instead of sending him Rachel, the woman that he loves, who he's been spending seven years anticipating marrying, sends in Leah, the older sister who had not been married yet, and tricks Jacob. Um, Jacob was unaware, and he marries Leah. Lots of questions about how he had no idea, but that's <laughs> not the point
0: right now. The point
1: is that he was successfully deceived into marrying Leah <clears throat> instead of Rachel. So we get to this point, and Rachel has become jealous of her sister Leah. Never mind that Leah's marriage was an accident. Never mind that Jacob didn't love Leah, he loved Rachel. Never mind that Rachel was more attractive than Leah, to the point where the authors thought they should express that in writing, that Rachel was more attractive. Leah had four sons, and Rachel was jealous. Never mind all the ways that Rachel had been given privilege had been given provision, had been given power in that marriage relationship. She looked around at all the humans around her, at the family, at the social structures, at the values that society put upon her as a woman, her culture, and she forgot about what God had given her. She became jealous, and she acted out of that jealousy. And the Bible leaves no question about the evil of jealousy. In Proverbs 14.30, it says that jealousy rots the bones. It's kind of intense. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 3.3, it says that when jealousy exists, we're unspiritual. And then 10 chapters later, it says love is patient, love is kind, Love is not jealous. It does not envy. In the New Testament Gospel of Matthew, uh, when Jesus comes before Pilate um, to be tried, it says that Pilate knew Jesus was there because of the jealousy of the religious leaders. The list goes on throughout Scripture. The point is that jealousy is a sin that is offensive to God and it's injurious to our neighbor, and to ourselves. In this instance, Rachel did not consider that it was God who made a difference in her ability to conceive. She didn't consider that God had promised to take care of her. She was jealous of Leah, even though she was beautiful and loved. I've heard envy described at grieving at the good of another. Very poignant, in my opinion. How true is that? When we're jealous of somebody, we see the good in their life, and we grieve because of it, instead of rejoicing for them. Her, her Rachel's primary concern is to compete with Leah. We get the impression that if Leah hadn't had children, Rachel might not have cared so much that she didn't have children. But it seemed like because Leah had children, that made Rachel get to this point of being jealous and envious and wanting that. She probably would have wanted it anyway, but the way the author lays this out, it seems like it's not so much her barrenness, but it's Leah's fruitfulness that bothers her. And we see a very similar situation in 1 Samuel 1, with the story of Hannah. Hannah is a woman. She's married to a man named Elkanah. She's one of two wives, like Rachel and Leah. She's loved by her husband, but she is barren. She doesn't have children, and the other wife does. And Hannah feels the sting, the shame, and the pain of not having children in that time and in that culture, but The noteworthy thing is the difference in the way that Hannah and Rachel respond to their barrenness. We read that Hannah goes before the Lord, she goes to the temple, and she falls before God and she weeps. She tells God what is going on in her heart, and she asks God to remember her and to give her a son, and she prays promises that if God gives her a son, she will give him back to God for all of his life. And that was a prestigious role in that time and in that religion. But at the same time, if she gives her son back, she has to let go to a certain extent in a way that other mothers don't. So that was her way of expressing, God, this gift would be yours. Please hear my prayer. And God fulfills her request. Rachel envied, and Hannah wept. Rachel spoke harshly to Jacob, demanding children. Plural children, too. Not just, give me a son. She went all the way. She demands children. She speaks harshly to her husband. Hannah goes to the temple, presents herself before the Lord, humbles herself in his and asks to be remembered by God. And later in the Genesis passage, we see that through the naming of children, yeah, through the naming of children, you see up here um, Dan, God has judged in my favor, uh, and then Naphtali, I've won this competition. Rachel considered those children mainly in relation to herself, her own vindication, her own victory. Hannah asked for a son that she offered back to God. And she did that. She offered her son Samuel back to God and God heard Hannah's cry. So what do you do when you are in that place? When you're hopeless? When things look dark? In my dark times, I react like Rachel. More often than not, I lash out or I isolate, I go into myself. I don't acknowledge or care for the people around me. I don't even acknowledge what's going on inside of me sometimes. I just let my walls go up. In their dark hours, Rachel forgot God. Hannah remembered God, and God answered Hannah. Rachel looked around her and forgot about God. I've been like Rachel. Have you? How often do we forget that all of the things that God has already done for us because of one thing that we wish was different? Because of one thing that someone else has that we don't? How about... Those times when we're scanning Facebook or Instagram and we see all these things that people are doing or things that they have or things that they say, and we start comparing our whole life to someone else's Facebook posts. I do that a lot. Other people already have their master's degree and they're younger than me. Other people. Already own their own home. And some of them are younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> Other people travel the world. Other people are more in shape than I am. On and on and on. Someone else's life is better than mine. Even on the days when I start out feeling really grateful, and I wake up and I'm like, oh God, thank you for all you've done for me. And like, I'm just, I'm going to praise you today because of. All these blessings I count my blessings right all it takes is a glance around and I am quickly back in that place envious of other people's lives and part way through our passage this morning Leah also steps into that space so let's take a look at these verses oh yeah Rachel She said, here's my servant Bilhah, sleep with her, and she will give birth for me. Because of her, I will also have children. So Rachel gave her servant to Bilhah, to Jacob, as his wife, and he slept with her. Bilhah became pregnant, gave birth to a son, and Rachel said, God has judged in my favor, heard my voice, and given me a son. So she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah became pregnant again and gave birth to a second son for Jacob. Rachel said, I've competed fiercely with my sister, and now I've won. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah realized that she had stopped bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Leah's servant Zilpah gave birth to a son for Jacob, and Leah said, What? Good luck. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah gave birth to a second son for Jacob, and Leah said, I'm happy now because women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. Uh, Leah, at this point, steps fully onto the stage in what I heard one pastor call it, in this womb war. Leah is a fantastically important character in this narrative. Unfortunately, in my opinion, she does not get the credit that she deserves, in general. Just big picture uh, in our faith. Those who've heard Old Testament stories and narratives, um, we hear more about Rachel than we do Leah. Uh, And if your experience is different, I think that's great. But in my experience, I've heard so much more about Rachel than Leah. And most of what I've heard about Leah is simply that she was the ugly sister. Rachel was beautiful, Leah was ugly. And then she wasn't loved, and that's kind of the end of it. Uh, In chapter 29, it says that uh, Leah had delicate eyes which could be interpreted a number of different ways. But one thing we know for sure is that she wasn't as beautiful physically as her sister. Um, But to relegate Leah to simply being the ugly sister is a travesty. Um, The sense we get about Leah from scripture is that she had a strong faith, probably stronger than her sister Rachel. The names of Leah's first four sons in chapter 29 they indicate that she was focused on God's provision and God's blessing. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, um, she named them saying that God had heard her, that she would praise the Lord. Yet overall, Rachel is still more well known, uh, and much in this narrative is focused on Rachel too. And so I looked up these women in the Bible dictionary, and we go to the next slide. So you can't read the words, those aren't important. But the important part is that this little section, that's Leah. Those are like two paragraphs. This section is Rachel, and she gets a whole family (laughs) tree in her section. Jesus, our Savior, the Son of God, came from the line of Judah who is the son of Leah, and we can only give Leah two paragraphs in a Bible dictionary. I don't know if that upsets any of y'all, but I was, I was a little bit perturbed when I, when I started realizing how little we say about her. That's not the point of the sermon. All of that to say... All of that to say is that it's vital for us to recognize that Leah, the one who was not loved, the one who was oppressed and marginalized by her family and by society, she had to be, someone had to be tricked into marrying her. God gave her a place of honor in the grand scheme of history. He allowed her to be the mother of Judah, the royal tribe, the lineage of Jesus Christ. Leah was not forgotten by God. And our human rules of power and prestige and privilege, all of which Rachel seemed to have the upper hand in, in this story, they are not binding to God. God fiercely hates oppression. And Leah's story is an example and a reminder to us that God is the God of the oppressed. That is the God that we serve. And it's also important for us to recognize that the transition Leah makes when she chooses to embrace the competition between her and her sister um, happens partway through this passage and it's a change for Leah. She seemed to be focused on who God was And then she kind of gives in to this competition. And it says that Leah realized she had stopped bearing children and that could be for a number of reasons. Maybe she wasn't able to conceive anymore. Maybe Jacob stopped sleeping with her because he loved Rachel. But either way, she sees her sister's decision to have children through her servants and she decides to give her servant to Jacob. Now, Keep in mind that giving your servants to have your children while we see it happening in history, that is never something that God condones or encourages. God never said, by the way, if you're not having children, give your servant to your husband. That never came from God, even though it may have been culturally accepted at the time. But Leah was impressed with the same sense of discontent that we see Rachel having at the beginning of the chapter what I have is not enough. If I have more, I will be happy. And I can take the fulfillment of God's promises into my own hands if I step outside his will just a little bit. The names of Leah's sons reflect the change in her heart that had happened. Gad is reflective of the Hebrew word for good fortune. I'm lucky. Asher is derived from the word for happy, and both are focused on Leah's personal experience. And then we read at the very end, I'm happy now because women will call me happy. Who matters now? Humans or God? What the women think has become primary. Leah looked around saw what was going on with her sister, and forgot God. I've been like Leah, have you? How often do we see the choices or the lives of someone else and decide that our own is not enough? We decide to enter into a way of life that's about competition and reputation rather than gratefulness and praising God. So I believe that we need to be considering those places in our lives where we forget God. And it might be different for each of us. In what area are you prone to forgetting about God? Personally, I have a tendency to forget God's grace. I forget that God's grace is big enough, that it's strong enough, that it's given freely enough to cover me. Instead of believing the truth that I know about God's grace, I turn toward a lie that if another human being doesn't offer me grace, then obviously God must not be able to give me that either. And I've struggled with this since I was a child, the fear of messing something up so badly that it would mess everything up, that somehow I had the ability to ruin everything by doing something wrong. I have this vivid memory of being a child, probably I would imagine like eight, maybe 10 in my grandma's bathroom getting ready for bed and we were staying at grandma's house. And she had this uh, toothpaste tube squeezer. It was just this little piece of plastic that I clamped on your toothpaste tube and you would like slide it and it would squish all your toothpaste to the front. It was kind of nifty, a little bit silly, Um, but I was either playing with it or like trying to push the toothpaste as much as I could and I broke it. I broke Graham's toothpaste squeezer. (laughs) And I was petrified at the thought of telling her. And I almost didn't. As a child, I almost didn't tell Graham that I broke her little piece of plastic. Because I, in that moment, forgot the truth of what I knew about Graham's love for me. About the fact that how much she cared about her granddaughter could outweigh how bummed she might be that her 50 cent toothpaste squeezer got broken. It seems a little silly and a little trite, but that's continued throughout my life up to today. I'm sure it will continue on hopefully less and less. But I get so caught up in the thought that I might mess things up that I forget about God's grace, the truth of it. I forget about the victory that I already have in Christ. And that all comes from fear. It's fear that I won't be accepted if I'm not perfect or if I don't have it all together, or at least look like I have it all together, because I don't have it all together. And when I live out that fear, when I live out of that fear, trying to do everything right, trying to keep from giving people a reason to reject me, trying to keep from doing anything that would necessitate grace, because what if this time what I did was so bad that there actually wasn't any grace? And if I hadn't done it, I would be fine, but then I did and there's no more grace left. I'm neglecting to trust what I know of God's truth, God's character, God's promises, that God's grace is sufficient for me, that His power is made perfect in weakness. I look around and I forget about God. Have you been forgetting about God? Like Leah or Rachel. Have you been looking around, considering what other people think, what they say, what they want, what they know, and forgetting about God? Are we forgetting that God hears us? And are we forgetting that God hears others as well? When we get so focused on comparison, envying what other people have, we compromise our ability to care for the people around us. Rachel and Leah got caught up in their envy of each other. And they named their sons in a way that was selfish, that was focused on them. Um, It reflects that they saw those children as stepping stones to getting what they wanted, to being what they wanted. The sons had names that reflected reputation and rivalry, not God's promises. When Leah had her first four sons, she remembered God. She praised the Lord. What a difference. So who matters most? Others or God? Who are we focusing on? Who or what are we overlooking when we forget God? When the sisters forgot God, it not only impacted them, it impacted their children. Those that they were supposed to be caring for, keeping alive, loving. It not only impacted them and their children, it impacted their servants. Bilhah and Zilpah had to bear children that they would never get to call their own. those women were forced to have children that weren't even considered theirs. When we forget God, it impacts other people. When we remember God, we can see other people as God sees them. Consider this. For Rachel, Leah's children were more kin to her than Bilhaz would have been. So the children that Leah already had were close, more closely related to Rachel than a child of her servant. But Rachel didn't want children to love them and to care for them. She wanted children to reflect a sense of power and authority, reputation, people to rule over. So loving, her sister's children wasn't enough. Seeing her sister's children as who they were, beautiful creations, gifts from God, it wasn't enough. And how often do we fall into this trap? We forget about God's abundance. We choose to live with a scarcity mentality, like Dave talked about a few weeks ago. It's happening all around us right now. It's happening in our country right now. We function as though there's not enough room for everyone. There are not enough resources for everyone. There won't be enough opportunities for me and my children if I let those other people, those who've been oppressed or forgotten or pushed to the edges, the margins of society, hated by society, to have the same opportunity we neglect the truths about God's character, his abundance, his provision, his inclusion, and his love. We forget God. So after all this talk about forgetting God, the question remains, how do we keep from forgetting God? How do we remember God? Well, how do we remember other things? We set reminders. We ask other people to help us remember. We utilize repetition. We practice something if we don't want to forget it. On and on. We have these ways of remembering things and I think that those things can pertain to our relationship with God as well. For example, the setup up front is a little bit different than it has been before. Because when we step into church, my hope is that we will sit down and we'll remember God because he's central. Because we can look forward and we can see the cross. We can look forward and see the opportunity to present our gifts to him. And then we can look around and see that we're surrounded by other people. That's a way, space is a way to remember God. So what would change if we prioritized time with God? What if the sticky notes and the alarms on our phones included reminders of what God had done for us? What if we repeated God's promises over and over, practiced remembering them, and memorizing them? And what if living in community here included preaching the gospel to one another? regularly through a conversation or a text message encouragements or support this wednesday is ash wednesday how many of you n- know what ash or yeah know what ash wednesday is have heard of it have heard of ash wednesday mm-hmm. we have that yeah no shame on wednesday we enter into the season of lent and lent is the 40 days minus sundays Prior to Easter. And it's a time of repentance, of remembering, of preparing ourselves for Easter, for the death and resurrection of Christ. It's a time of self examination, reflection, intentionally remembering God's character, God's salvation, and God's promises through Jesus Christ. And Ash Wednesday, the day that starts this season, it provides the opportunity in a lot of churches who have Ash Wednesday services um, to have a cross put on your forehead in ash, actual ashes. this is reminiscent of um, the early Christians who they would sprinkle ash on their heads as a sign of mourning, as a sign of grieving. So Ash Wednesday, that physical reminder of the ashes upon us. Um, And if we don't go to an Ash Wednesday service, simply the reality of the day being on the calendar. It helps us to enter into the season of Lent, the season of preparation, with a reminder of our frailty and our sinfulness. It's a chance to openly acknowledge our imperfection, and to freely confess our tendency to forget God. And then in the time from Ash Wednesday to Easter, many believers choose to fast from something in order to be reminded of our need for God, reminded of Christ's sacrifice, reminded to pray and to prepare our hearts for Easter. And yes, many people utilize Lent as a way to be more on top of their dieting. Let me tell you how I feel about that. I won't tell you how I feel about that. Because it's not about the cutting out sweets. Cutting out sweets is not a problem. Fasting from dessert, not a problem. It's the purpose. Are you deciding to say no to desserts for 40 days so that you can lose a few pounds? Or are you deciding to refrain from sweets so that each time you consider eating that piece of pie, you're reminded to pray and to seek God's face and to be humbled before him at his sacrifice and his love, reminded to remember who he is and what he's promised. So my challenge to you is as we enter into Lent to consider what practice during that season might be most helpful to remembering God. And maybe it is fasting from something. Maybe it's adding something. Maybe it's adding five minutes of prayer to your day. You can go either way. As we sing the songs that follow the sermon, um, I encourage you, I challenge you to go to the back and grab one of those cards or two if you want to keep one and then put one in the basket and write down what it is that you want to remember about God or how you want to utilize Lent as a season to remember who God is and what he's done for you and then at any point during the songs offer that offer that to God up front. Stand up and bring your gifts to him. Rachel and Leah were given promises by God, promises that they could trust even if they didn't come to fruition as soon as they might have hoped. Leah didn't know that she was going to be part of the lineage of Jesus. But remembering God brings us into God's presence. It exchanges jealousy for peace. It keeps us mindful of the promises and the salvation of God through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So let's remind ourselves of who God is and what God promised by knowing scripture, by spending time in prayer. Let's remind each other of God's love and provision and grace. And let's be reminded that others are not forgotten by God by taking part in caring for and loving those who've been forgotten by our society. Let's remember God's promises, God's faithfulness, God's ongoing work throughout history and our lives so that we can be empowered empowered to experience life fully and to love others fully. Amen? Please pray. God, thank you that you have given us love, life, salvation, that you have provided for us in all the ways we need and more. And God, we come before you humbled by the ways that we overlook that. And we ask that you would keep showing us how to grow in our understanding and our love of you. that as each day goes by, we remember you more.